Good morning and good afternoon to you all. Thank you for joining us for what we hope is the first of many Binance Fireside Chat. I'm your host, Josh Goodbody, and what better way for us to kick off this series than by having two esteemed titans of the crypto industry. Michael Saylor, the CEO of MicroStrategy, and our very own CZ, founder and CEO of Binance. Michael CZ, welcome to you both. Yep, um, glad to be here. And Michael, thanks for joining the show. Very exciting. <laughs> Great stuff. So guys, today we're going to start with a few hot topics. Then we're going to move off piste into some quick fire questions. And then we're going to finish up with some live Q&A. Does that sound all right? Yep. Awesome. Excellent. Okay. So Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. Uh, everyone's talking about it. It's the hot topic of the year, if not every single conversation right now in Wall Street and Main Street. CZ, you've been known to encourage people to slap themselves for selling their Bitcoin. Very brave, may I say. Uh, and Michael, you're quite clearly practicing what you preach at, uh, at MicroStrategy. Michael, why are you so bullish on Bitcoin? Tell us a little bit about how you got here and where your current head is at with respect to Bitcoin. You know, I didn't pay much attention to the crypto industry until March of, of this year. And in March of this year, we had a K-shaped recovery. So I think that the major macroeconomic event is, is the expansion of the M2 money supply. We, were, we had an, a money supply expanding by about 5.5% a year for a decade. Mm -hmm. And starting this year, it leaped forward by about 24%. And looking forward, it looks like it's going to expand by 15% every year for the next five years. So another way to say that is the cost of capital just tripled. And if you're not beating the expansion of the money supply with your returns and investment, you can't preserve wealth. You can't store value. So when the cost of capital tripled, what that meant was a bond that's not yielding more than 15% is losing value. And it meant that a stock that's not growing its EPS faster than 15% annually is losing value. Mm -hmm. And it meant that real estate that can't grow its rents by faster than 15% is losing value. So the short of it is, there's $300 trillion of, of money in, the, in these fiat investments. They're all going to be cut in half over the next three to five years. They're, they're all, in essence, everyone's going to lose half their wealth mm -hmm. if they don't find a solution to the problem. So why am I interested in Bitcoin and the crypto industry in general? It's because there's a mad scramble to find a store of value. We know that cash won't work. And we know that bonds, real estate, and stock are fiat instruments, and they're all going to be debased at the rate of expansion of the money supply. And so what are you going to do? You, you, you search through gold, you consider silver, you consider commodities, you consider buying a portfolio of rare art, and eventually you settle upon the idea of perfectly engineered digital gold something that is superior to gold in all respects, not none of the liabilities of gold, all of the good attributes of gold, and that's 21 million gold coins called Bitcoin sitting in cyberspace, <laughs> right? And so once, once you found that, you think, well, this is the ultimate safe haven asset and store of value for every investor on earth. And by the way, it's the solution to 7.8 billion people's problem on earth because everybody on the planet has a currency that's collapsing. The only difference is in America and Europe, it's collapsing at 10 to 15% a year and everywhere else it's collapsing faster. Yeah. So how can you not get enthusiastic about that? Yeah, yeah, fair point. I think CZ, you've been really you know, banging that drum and, and talking to those, those themes around currencies devaluing for a long, long time. You've yeah. been in these crypto trenches since the very early days. How does it feel for you now to see companies like MicroStrategy and people like Michael Saylor saying these things publicly and, and being champions? Do you feel relieved? Do you feel vindicated? Well, I just feel it's great to meet people uh, that are taking public companies into crypto now. Um, actually, I think Michael Saylor is definitely one of the early adopters from a public company perspective. So before, I was I was always more talking on an individual basis. It's much easier to invest individually. So uh, uh, seeing that, uh, seeing the uh, taking action to take publicly listed company, allocating a percent of that treasury and publicly um, uh, doing into crypt into Bitcoin is is really really refreshing. Um, I, 
I didn't know how long it would take. I, I thought it would take a long time. So uh, seeing pioneers like Michael doing this now, I think this is going to I actually think this is going to start a whole new trend and something mm -hmm. that we I actually didn't expect before. But uh, for all the reasons that Michael said, all those reasons were there before. Mm -hmm. uh, but this year definitely uh, super kicked that into like high gear and mm -hmm. uh, supercharged it. So I think now, but ha but having um, having all the sort of crypto OGs talking about it on crypto Twitter in smaller groups is, is, is that's one level of impact. Like we we're, 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 we usually talk we we usually say we're just talking among ourselves because we're just trying to convince each other, which are all, all already convinced. But now we're seeing this new wave come in, which is really really refreshing. And uh, and also Michael is also a very um, articulate person. Um, I've, I follow your tweets. Your tweets are always worded really, really um, well, and it, it, uh, it, had, it, it has resonance. So um, I think, yeah, just having having Michael uh, sort of being the first public company to do this and, and also being very vocal about it is really, really refreshing. And we're, I'm just super happy for more and more people like Michael to, to, to join this industry. Awesome. And Michael, do you think we're getting to this point that it actually starts to become a conversation within treasury functions in, in not just publicly listed companies, but other companies, whereby you're almost not doing your job by considering Bitcoin as a store of value for your treasury function. You're almost remiss for not looking at this in more detail. At what point do you think we're going to be getting there? Or are we actually already there and these conversations are happening in more and more treasury functions? I think that March of this year was the inflection point. If you had asked me, what did I think about Bitcoin and what our treasury invest in Bitcoin in February? I would have said, what is Bitcoin? Or I think I read about it, but I'm not paying attention to it. And if I'd walked into my boardroom and said we should do it, they would have thought I'd gone crazy. And, uh, and I, by the way, I didn't know about it. I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have been allowed to do it. And mm -hmm. I wouldn't have had a good reason to do it. And then I think in March, we kind of got hit in the head with a two by four. It was a wake up call. And, and again, the, the rate of, of asset inflation tripled or quadrupled or quintupled. And so you could all of a sudden the entire industry shifted. Every rational investor in the world today knows inflation is coming. They know there's a problem. So starting in April, people had a problem. It was three times as intense as it was in February. Mm -hmm. All the media started covering it and all of the other solutions to the problem started to look like they're not working again. So if you, if you think about how fast an institutions move, you know, it takes, if you're, if you're wicked fast in three months, you're working on it in six months, you've done something. And otherwise it's quarter by quarter by quarter. And so I think, I think, yeah, we did it. You saw Square do it. And um, there's been a parade of 100 institutional uh, positive milestones that happened since March. And each one of those is is building a tapestry of momentum and uh, and it's making it easier for the next company. I think it's a no brainer that private companies, I see a lot of private companies working on it, but mm -hmm. I also hear institutions, pension funds and unions and endowments and things like that are starting to move. And, uh, and I, I also think public companies will do it. I think, I think the hardest, the hardest hurdle is for public companies to do it because there's, there's interlocking regulatory and governance and accounting and, and strategic issues and communications issues, which are, which are really tricky to work through. But I think that, uh, you know, the hedge funds, the Paul Tudor Jones, Stanley Druckenmill, Bill Miller, all of those, they can move faster and they typically want to front run the bigger players. And then you have the lumbering institutions. And mm -hmm. of course, the private companies and high net worth individuals and family offices, they're, uh, they've got the same problem and uh, they can move faster and they don't, they don't have to put out a press release saying what they did and why they did it and justify it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, What's really clear is that you're you're both super passionate about growing this industry. CZ, 2020 has been a really, really good year for Binance. How do you plan to continue this growth and kind of try and foster a 10 timesing of this economy that we're in? What are your thoughts around that? 
Um, so my thoughts on, on this industry is actually quite simple. Um, I think basically the industry has to grow for uh, for us, for, for businesses in this industry to grow. But I, I'm very confident that the industry will grow. I think we're seeing institutional, before when we talk about institutional participation, we're talking about institutional traders potentially like allocating some funds, trading Bitcoin or something. But now we're seeing treasury, institutional treasury come in. And I, I actually, I heard different versions of this um, of this rally, and they were saying that there are just a few institutions allocating one percent of their of their treasury into Bitcoin, and that's called that's causing this rally already. So, uh, and uh, just imagine like uh, how much more demand there is once more of once more of the treasury managers figure out that this is what they need to do. So, um, from from our from my perspective, I think this year. Yeah, it has been pretty bad in almost every other uh, instance, but it has been good for the crypto industry that is really showing that the fundamentals of Bitcoin, fundamentals of, of cryptocurrencies, that it is limited supply, there's no inflation, it is a hedge against all these uh, other macroeconomic changes. And uh, I think for uh, uh, our our goal is really just to keep our service up <laughs> while while this industry is rallying, so we want we got to be able to handle the number of new users coming. We got to handle like peak traffic, peak volumes. Uh, got to do our KYC, AML. All of those things take uh, all. Of, most of those things don't scale very well because there there's sometimes human components to them. Mm -hmm. So um, we're just trying to find out better ways to 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 be able to service institutional participation as we define it now. Like treasuries come in, um, they will want they will want to they will want to do due diligence on us and how to service potentially. Um, uh, uh, micro seller, uh, micro strategy uh, firms like this. So this is this is going to be our challenge going forward. I'm not worried about the uh, I'm not worried about the industry. I'm very mm -hmm. worried about the economy overall. Um, but the crypto economy, the crypto industry will, will, will be will be very good. So I think Michael's really really joining early and in his own words, kind of front running um, the other late adopters. So I think that's a really smart strategy to adopt. Cool. So on that theme, Michael, of, of trying to 10 times this industry, let's think even bigger. Let's, let's say 100 times this industry. What's your view on how we've got to get there? We were talking earlier around things like demonstrating to people how big the Bitcoin economy is. How do you quantify the Bitcoin community? Things like that, I think, are really important. And you've got some great ideas on that. So do you want to share with us how you think we can 10 times, 100 times elements of the, the Bitcoin economy? Well, I... I yeah, I, I think that it starts by rotating from, the, from one uh, narrative, which is, well, Bitcoin is a very interesting uncorrelated digital asset with high volatility, with high potential returns, and you can put 1% to 2% of your portfolio into it with or without mm -hmm. leverage. But that's one, that, that was a narrative, you know, and the speculative narrative uh, was predominant before March. But that's not the that's not going to appeal to 99% of the investors or the money in the world. They want something different. They want Bitcoin is the ultimate synthetic long-term treasury reserve asset. It's it's an engineered safe haven asset to engineered to be superior to gold in all aspects of a bearer instrument that's a store of value. And if I go from one to the other. Uh, then I'm not talking about getting 1% of the money from 1% of the investors. I'm talking about getting 50% of the money from 100% of the investors. Okay, so so uh, what does that mean? Well, I mean, it means that the people that we want, we, we want to appeal to are the people that put their money in gold because they don't trust fiat instruments. So there's $10 trillion there. So they'll be looking at you know, how does Bitcoin compare to gold? How does Bitcoin's volatility compare to gold, returns compared to gold, trading liquidity compared to gold, et cetera? How many people hold Bitcoin versus people that hold gold? I think uh, the second big, uh, by the way, and that's $10 trillion, right? So that gets you a factor of 20 to 50 there. The second bucket is people with, uh, with bonds, $17 trillion of negative yielding debt, $100 trillion of 0 to 3% yielding debt. What, why are you putting money in bonds, sovereign wealth? It's a safe haven. So people's reaction is the market gets scary. They run to a safe haven. I think it's pretty important in the, in the crypto industry. And with regard to Bitcoin, you position Bitcoin as 
the the ultimate long duration safe haven asset so they run to it instead of running to sovereign debt mm -hmm. that you again another factor of 10 20 30 and then finally you've got uh, a pool of big tech investors a lot you could argue a lot of people are using uh big tech like tesla apple amazon as a store of value they've mm -hmm. lost faith in the currency they know they can't invest in negative yielding bonds they're not quite sure about gold. I mean, gold is defective. It's an antiquated store of value. It was the best store of value for 5,000 years until we invented the computer, ZZ, right? Like, yeah. it's like, it's like the Canon camera yeah. was the best way to take photos. And we put, put photos in shoeboxes in our attic until we invented the iPhone. It was a good idea until it became not a good idea. Libraries were a good idea until Google gave away a million books for a nickel for everybody on earth. And then it mm -hmm. became not so good an idea. And so what you've got here is people running, running to these things, like they're running to big tech, they're running to, they're running to gold. And I, I mean, people are, I don't know why anybody would run to bonds, by the way, like, like sovereign debt yielding negative. I can't figure that one out, but they're all looking for a store of value. Add up those three, it's $150 trillion. Mm -hmm. You know, Bitcoin is, 350. So the only reason people wouldn't buy into the idea of a crypto asset as a treasury reserve is because they don't understand it or, or they're afraid or when they show up, like when they show up to the exchanges, they get confused. So I, I think that when I show up to exchange, if you show me Bitcoin versus gold versus sovereign debt versus big tech and Bitcoin volatility versus Apple volatility. You know, by the way, everybody says Bitcoin's too volatile. Apple's been more volatile than Bitcoin for the last 90 days. You know, if they saw Bitcoin versus Tesla, vol Tesla volatility, Bitcoin volatility, Tesla's more volatile than Bitcoin. And so when they see this compared to big tech, to debt and to gold, mm -hmm. then you're telling them you can trade the one for the other. When they see Bitcoin compared to Tron, EOS, Chainlink, and 37 currency pairs, you're telling them they can trade Bitcoin versus Tron in, in CNY or BRL or ARS. But there aren't that many people with money in ARS and Tron that are going to convert it into Bitcoin. So you're, and, and what you need to do is you need to frame the investment hypothesis for people because anybody that sees gold debt or Tesla, Tesla on the ticker is going to say, oh, well, this is a way I could I can buy this or I can buy that. Right. You're going to attract the money into the industry by looking outward to the other and to the alt assets and comparing Bitcoin to that. And then once they yep. get into Bitcoin, you can you can then trade from Bitcoin into other cryptos if you're pursuing privacy, currency, stablecoin, application, smart contract, all the other value propositions of the crypto industry will come through the gateway of Bitcoin. But Bitcoin, Bitcoin is a Bitcoin is 0.1% of the ocean of investable assets. 99.9% are in the asset ocean, and we're talking about 0.1%. So we need to carve a channel between that ocean and that pond, and we need to tell people it's safe to convert your gold to Bitcoin, your no low-yielding debt to Bitcoin, your big tech to Bitcoin, and this is a compelling idea. I think that's how we grow right. the industry. That's a really great idea. You've, give, you've given us an idea, Michael. I think finding a way to to show volatility of Bitcoin versus all these other assets that everyone invests in all the time is a really digestible way to demystify and debunk the fact that Bitcoin is actually not as volatile as people think. Um, so we've got, we've got an idea there, CZ. Let's take that one and run with it. <laughs> yeah, and I think it also sounds like we, get, we have to list uh, gold, um, Tesla, and a bunch of other, <laughs> a right. bunch of other assets right. on our platform soon. Yeah, yeah so I, I think those ideas are really good, actually, yeah. You know, yeah. You know CZ, I spend so many hours with my eyes glued to the Binance screen. I have, I have the Binance yellow burned into my head. 
I have stared at it so long because you have the liquidity minute by minute and the best trading information in the industry. And if I'm trying to read the market, I go, I go to Binance worldwide, but, but, and you have, you've got, you've got the makings of the Bloomberg of this space. If you, if you actually started to park Tesla, Amazon, Apple, gold, you know, and bond index metrics or NASDAQ metrics or, 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 or the like there, then every, big, every, every conventional investor that's not currently a, a Bitcoin or a crypto investor would be going there thinking this is cool. I'll make one more point. You know, I give a lot of interviews and I meet a lot of people. Whenever anybody wants to impress me with their deep knowledge of investing in Bitcoin, you know what they say? They're like, well, you know, that's very interesting, but you know, isn't it volatile? That, I mean, it's like, the only thing they've learned in a decade is sometime in the last decade, it was volatile. Mm -hmm. And what I say is I've stared at it every day for the past 180 days. I have investments in 30-year U.S. sovereign bonds. Yeah. Many days, they're more volatile. Yeah. You know, I have investments in Apple. It's more volatile. I've watched the NASDAQ be more volatile some days. I've watched 10 and 30-year debt be more volatile. I've watched silver be more volatile. Nobody knocks those things. Tesla obviously is more volatile. They're the poster child of volatile. And mm -hmm. most people don't really know what how volatile it is. And if we had the rolling 30 and 90 day volatility or the rolling 12 month volatility mm -hmm. and it was parked as a number, then then people wouldn't be, you know, they're remembering that Mount Gox was there was some volatility back then or 2017. Yeah. And you, you can't compete against someone's memory of what you were when you were 13 years old. Or when you were a kid and they're like, did you throw a temper tantrum when you were in junior high school? I'm like, well, I, I'm like 28 years old now. I'm, I mean, like, why are you holding that against me? And the answer is because we don't put it in front of their face. And if we could, if, if people were just saying, yeah, you know, Bitcoin is 82% as volatile as Apple this month. And they go, oh, wow. Yeah. Completely shift the narrative. Yeah. Right in your tracks. Just stop. Yeah. 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 Well, so on picking up on one thing that you've you said there, Michael, um, gold, I'd be probably uh, uh, remiss not to talk about gold for at least a minute or two. Um, Bitcoin, digital gold, that's been the narrative. Some people say that's generous. Some people say that's not doing a service at all uh, to, to Bitcoin. Um, I remember you saying that Bitcoin was, I think it was a million times better than gold. That's a bold claim. Um, so do you believe that it's already replacing gold? And if so, you know, why? It is a million times better than gold. Absolutely. And it's a million times better than gold because of two ideas. One, it is, it is engineered virtual gold, which means it is all the virtues of gold, none of the liabilities of gold, right? It's not centralized. It has no mass. It moves at the speed of light. It's absolutely capped. If God designed virtual gold in cyberspace, he would have designed Bitcoin, okay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, people that know this know that God's name is Satoshi, right? So, <laughs> so that's one reason. But the other reason is because Bitcoin isn't just a synthetic safe haven asset engineered to be superior to gold. Bitcoin is also the world's first thermodynamically sound monetary network. It is, it is a big tech digital network. It's Facebook for money or Google for money or, or like YouTube for money, which means that when you act, it's a network engineered to host that safe haven asset and it's an open network. So every knock on Bitcoin, like, well, maybe the transactions aren't too fast. Well, you know, I watch Binance. They're pretty fast on Binance. You know, you're yeah. you plug into into Bitcoin, and a lot of, a lot of people's view of Bitcoin is how fast Binance moves, and and so if it, if you wanted to be a payment network, you plug Square or PayPal into it, and it gets better. If you want it to be a trading network or a finance company, you plug Binance into it, it gets better. If you want it to be an institutional offering, you plug Grayscale or Nidig into it it gets better. It's an open, you want it to be more secure. You know, you've got your cold storage hardware wallets on one extreme. You want it to be easier. You know, eventually it's going to get built into Apple Pay and Google Pay. Why? 
because Apple Pay and Google are going to have to respond to Square and PayPal. Why? Yep. Because politicians destroyed the savings account. And if I take Square cash application without Bitcoin, it's a free checking account and I can move money around. But when I take Square Cash application and I plug in Bitcoin, it's a free checking account with a savings account that's been yielding 100% interest tax-free over the past decade every year. So do you want a savings account that yields 100% interest of your PayPal or, or Square? Yeah. Do 7.8 billion people want it? Yeah. Can Apple and Google and Facebook afford to not offer a savings account in cyberspace that yields 100% more than the next bank? Not, I mean, like, this is not a lot about a little trinket, right? This is about mm. the bank gives you zero interest and your money, your money is worth half as much in 36 months, or it's going up and doubling every year. Yeah. So why is Bitcoin a million times better than gold? Because you can engineer it into a mobile app, into an exchange, into any piece of software, and it's on an open protocol. So that, that idea of an open monetary network where, where virtual gold moves at the speed of light and eventually finds its way into Amazon and Google and Facebook and Apple and, you know, and Square. And, and then, then there's this little war, right? Like Square is going to beat PayPal, so they need one more button. You know, and Apple is going to like put in one more button. And who's going to win? The market, right? I mean, it's you guys know it's a very brutal market in exchanges, right? It's what's the next feature you're going to add? Nobody is going to engineer another feature into gold, right? Mm -hmm. Gold is going to be the same thing it has been. You know, the last innovation was like a London good delivery bar with 400 ounces stamped or, or whatever. Yeah. And okay, yeah. that's your best innovation. How do you make, how do you engineer better? And the point is you can't any more than you can improve Polaroid pictures in a shoebox in your attic. Can't mm -hmm. make it better. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think Michael says something that's really really interesting there. Um, I think what uh, what Michael described there is uh, partially um, what Binance Card does today, which allows you to spend crypto directly from your crypto savings account, and it actually works with Google Pay and Apple Pay, but not in all or not in all locations now. So we'll, we will definitely absolutely work on to um, to to to, uh, to to increase the coverage of that. But there's something else that Michael you mentioned that, that that's really interesting. Uh, I want to pick your brain a little bit, which is you mentioned pension funds and sovereign uh, sovereign funds. So now we have uh, individuals investing in crypto, public companies now investing in crypto. When do you think the pension funds and sovereign funds are gonna, are gonna jump in? And what process is gonna require them to come into uh, to, to this? Because eventually they will have to, they will ha they will have to, they will have to abandon ship and hold some Bitcoin, right? I, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't start to read about pension funds and sovereign wealth funds investing in, in Bitcoin next year and in, in the next 12 months. Yeah. Um, like, look, this is God's gift, right? This is the perfect instrument for someone that needs long duration. So when I look at anything, I look out a hundred years, CZ, and then I look out 30 years, I look out 10 years, you know, and, and if, if you need, if you need to leave wealth to your your uh, grandchildren in 30 years, how are you going to do it? And if you needed to leave it to your great, great grandchildren in a hundred years, how are you going to do it? And, and you cycle through and you're like, well, real estate is going to get taxed away and maybe the regime will fail and you can't carry your real estate from one place to another place. Companies are getting taxed on income tax, employment tax, tariffs, etc. And they've got corporate risk and they've got massive competition. You can't be sure any company will be in a hundred years. Yeah. You know, then you, then you've got bonds. Well, every bond is, unless it's growing faster than the money supply, it's diluting. So you're going to lose most of your bond. Then you've got gold and you know, gold miners are going to print it, you know, two, 3% a year, and then it's corruptible and you can counterfeit it. And the, and the pro, you know, they're derivatives uh, and they're not backed one for one. They're fractional derivatives. So, so you're on this mad dash. How do I find something that I can hold forever? 
-hmm. and, and a lot of a lot of times you know individuals that are trading they're thinking what forever is 30 days right <laughs> like three <laughs> days you know like three months three years like no who thinks past three years well pension funds by by charter they have to think 30 years yeah. They have to think 50 years. They have to think, you know, 100 years, a durable thing. So find me the best long duration store of value in the world. And, and the answer is every single monetary network, the fiat networks, bond networks, stock networks, real estate networks, they're not closed systems. You can create more of them, which means that they have a leak. They bleed energy 2% a year, 3% a year, 1% a year, 7% a year. Well, Bitcoin is the one thing that's a closed system. You can't create more than 21 million coins. You might slightly decrease them out, but they're never going to be more than that. Yeah. And the definition of a closed system is, is you can't put mass in. All you can do is put energy in. Mm -hmm. And energy is monetary energy right it's money so as as monetary energy flows into bitcoin it sits like a like in the network like a monetary battery this is a battery that will hold a charge for a hundred years that's the big idea no one's the institutions are just now starting to wake up to this idea that if you put your energy into a real electric battery it drains two percent a month you're gonna lose 24 percent of your electricity in a year you put it into a gold battery, you lose 3% a year. You put it into Bitcoin, you're not losing any energy. That mm -hmm. makes it so superior for every pension fund, every everyone looking for long duration, that once that message gets out, they're going to stampede to it. It's just mm -hmm. is a matter of education and them getting comfortable and then solving all the on-ramp issues, you know, and making it easy for them. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. our job, yeah. Yeah, education. Well, we do a lot of it and we want to do more of it, I think. But we need all of these really compelling narratives and, and bringing them to as many people as possible. Um, and on that topic, CZ, you've talked a lot about how Bitcoin can act as an ideal hedge against devaluing currencies. Um, this is becoming even more topical during this really strange 2020 COVID year that we've all been in. Has your view changed or has your view reinforced based on what you've seen government action throughout 2020? Oh, yeah. I mean, my view is definitely reinforced. Um, so, yeah, I think basically uh, I've come to the I've come to this view a few a couple of years ago. And then um, um, what's happening in 2020 is just eyes opening. Like I didn't think what happened this fast. Um, but having COVID, having the uh, pandemic, economic uh, uh, shutdowns, and then government printing money like crazy really, really demonstrated that this concept of um, some money, right? So uh, Bitcoin is a deflationary. People lose it here and there, so it, it, it doesn't increase. It slowly decreases over time. Mm -hmm. And then it is, and then like early this year in March or in April, people says, why did Bitcoin drop uh, together with uh, uh, traditional fiat instruments, stocks? And people are questioning, is it a store of value or not? But now look, it's very, very clear, right? It, it is mm -hmm. a very good store of value. And um, so I think, um, uh, yeah, I think what uh, what's really interesting is Michael does have the long-term vision, the long-term mindset, whereas people who are trading actively, um, they have the very short uh, mindset. And mm -hmm. when you look at things on a shorter horizon, yes, it, it is volatile, maybe less volatile than Tesla or, or even Apple, but uh, it is still very relatively volatile in the short in on the short time frames. But when you when you look at when you look at a longer time frame, Bitcoin has just jumped like a few times in, in history, and I think it will continue to jump um, in the long run. So yeah, all of my views are super super strongly uh, reinforced this year. So I'm I, I just. Well, I don't have any fiat, so I couldn't buy Bitcoin. I couldn't buy more <laughs> cryptocurrency. So, so my assets are already all crypto. But yeah, um, I'm not. Brilliant. I don't even think about selling uh, in terms of selling it anymore. It's just it's it's asset I hold. It's mm -hmm. asset I spend when I when I need to spend it. I swipe my Binance card or whatever, and yeah. um, I, I I'm this is the asset I hold. I'm I'm using it to buy stuff. I'm not I'm not selling this stuff into fiat. Like why would I do that? Right. So um, yeah. So that that's kind of my view. I think which yeah. uh, is very much in line with uh, uh, what Michael tweeted a few days ago. 
Gotcha. Just, I think he tweeted that. Uh, he tweeted that um, don't don't uh, you have to buy everything into Bitcoin. You only want to buy you only want to buy the with the money that you want to keep. So yeah. That was a very yeah. Good tweet. Yeah. Absolutely. So just just for the record, Caesar, you said something interesting there. You do not hold any fiat currency at this moment in time. No, I I, I, well, I hold like a couple thousand dollars ish. Um, so sure. basically, just, just just there are parts of our lives which I, we still have to spend fiat. Sure. But I only convert when I have to spend. So right. I don't uh, I don't hold any meaningful amount at all uh, in fiat currencies. Josh, I think the metaphor is it used to be at a checking account and a savings account, mm. and the savings account uh, paid you five percent interest or six, and money didn't keep devaluing. And, uh, and the checking account didn't pay you an interest, but you could write check and pay bills in it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then along came this banking innovation that you could actually write checks against your savings account. So everybody put all their money in the savings account because who doesn't want to get interest on their money? And then, of course, the next innovation is banks took the interest rate of savings account to zero, <laughs> right? And then the next innovation is they took the, they started making the money worth 10 or 15% less every year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when CZ keeps all his money in crypto, it's the same as saying, well, do you want to store your money in something like Bitcoin that's gone up 100% on average per year for the last decade? Or do you want to keep it in something which is going to go up 0% per year? Mm -hmm. It's like... And so when someone says, well, I allocated 2% of my portfolio to Bitcoin and 98% of my portfolio to other things, I think, well, you're going to buy a basket of fiat instruments that are going to be debased at 10 to 15% a year while you have a small percentage of things that are going to go up in value. It, it, it doesn't make any sense that you would, you, you would people go, well, I'm managing risk. Well, you're 100% guaranteed to lose half your money in 36 months if you invest in cash instruments. So how are you managing risk to guarantee that you're losing half your money? Yeah, that's you what they call treat risk, management right? of decline. Yeah, manage decline. Uh, no, they're guaranteed to decline. They don't want any risk of it not declining. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow. That's a new, pro that's a new product. We should, yeah. we should market that. Yeah. Um, so, Michael, you're, you're a bull. You're a Bitcoin bull. You've even had people writing songs about you. I'm not going to ask you what your view of that song is, um, but just a thumbs up or a thumbs down will do for now. I, I think that the big, the big advantage of Bitcoin is it's a swarm of cyber hornets and they're doing things uh, to help the ecosystem all the time, right. whether, whether you know about it or not. And I just love the creativity of the hive mind. It's, right. it's this creature that's just massively parallel processing, innovating and, and researching and developing ideas to see what's going to work. And if it'll mm -hmm. help, then it gets elevated through the system to the good of everybody. And, and I like that creativity. It's great. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. Love the metaphor. Um, do you have any other interest then? Uh, I'm not saying holdings, but I mean, just interest, philosophically, practical interest in other crypto assets or, or any other protocols out there? You know, my interest in crypto, I, I look at crypto as creating life in cyberspace. And so you, you write the protocol is the DNA and you're releasing a life form. And, and Bitcoin is like a base level life form. It's almost like the algae, which is the base plankton level of all life on Earth. Right. It's, it's a, a plant life. And then you can create other forms of life that you can release <clears throat> life that life that might do things that Bitcoin doesn't do, right? I mean, we all know that Bitcoin doesn't do everything. It doesn't do as much privacy as you would want. It doesn't do as much smart contracts as you would want. It doesn't do uh, as, as fast a, a transactions as you would want. These are all different life forms. Now, why do you want a life form in, in, in cyberspace or a crypto? If you're in search of immortal sovereignty, right? If, if you need something to transcend a government, a country or a company, not, not everything needs to. By the way, I, I love Binance as a digital exchange, and I don't need it to transcend you, CZ, or transcend by I think it's fine the way it is. I mean, I, I, if, if I wanted to give all my money to my great-great-great-great-grandchildren, I'm more likely to do it in Bitcoin than, do it, than leave it on the Binance exchange, and you could figure out why, right? But at the same time, 
I think that the world needs to have a mixture of cryptos, a mixture of digital assets. You know, there's a place for all these things. And I think that, um, that uh, the real key is, you, you know, when you're playing God in cyberspace, you kind of got to get the genetic DNA protocol just right before you, and then you release it. And then you let it grow and it fills its ecosystem. And, and what we've got is the Cambrian explosion of, of crypto life forms. And some are going to live and some are not going to live. And the market is like this Darwinian natural selection process, right? And, and uh, you know, we'll see what happens. It's fascinating. Yeah, survival of the fittest. I think yeah, so. Absolutely. Yeah, I, 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 like I share a, almost the identical view as Michael um, on this topic. Um, yeah, I mean, there are um, there are many. Bitcoin is the most decentralized uh, base platform. Um, it is the is the is the king of all the other cryptocurrencies. There are other innovations which many people are doing in this ecosystem and which we are participating. And um, yeah, and it's good. It's good to have this um, uh, ecosystem of life forms uh, here. But um, the majority of them, of them will now stay forever. And but the one percent will, will will grow to be much bigger. So um, yeah, I, I, I share that view very very strongly. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. So I was just going to draw this section to a close, um, and we're going to move into what we're calling the quick fire questions. Some are crypto related. Some have absolutely nothing to do with crypto. So I hope you've prepared yourselves. Um, we're going to ask some hard talk here. Nothing too spicy or controversial, so don't be scared. But we will be asking some good questions. Um, CZ, I'm going to start with you. When did you first start looking at Bitcoin seriously? Can you think of the month or, yeah. or, even, or the year, of course, but can you think of yeah. the month when you thought, right, this is something I'm going to get involved with? I first heard about it in July, July 2013. And by October, it was the first time I bought uh, Bitcoin. And, um, and by December, I knew I was, fully, I was all in. I was selling my house, quitting my job, um, or, for, or for Bitcoin. So mm -hmm. uh, 2013 was, was end of 2013 was the, was the time for me. And when you sold your house on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being terrified, 1 being completely zen, how terrified were you when you sold it for Bitcoin? Um, no, I, I sold my house into fiat, which took me six months, and I saw the price uh, 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 going up and down. So right, I was very right. anxious, not not so much terrified. I was just very anxious to get it done as soon as, soon as possible. And yeah. then um, uh, it was actually really after I, I bought in, I was a little bit terrified because the price dropped very quickly. So, so uh, and it stayed there for about two years. So I bought in around 600, dropped to about 200, stayed there for, for quite a while, for like a year and a half. Um, so it was a little bit mentally stressful, but mm -hmm. I, my lifestyle didn't get impacted that much. I live a pretty, pretty simple lifestyle even today. So um, yeah, so that, that wasn't, it was, li was a little bit mentally stressful, but wasn't that bad. Brilliant. And Michael, for you, when you decided to go all in on Bitcoin, can you pinpoint maybe the month and the year when this happened? And then you thought, right, I'm going to become this champion of, of this digital asset. April this year. <laughs> March, March was a wake up call. You know, April was uh, was a, a quest for the truth you know, to re rethink everything that I believed about macroeconomics and investment and, and the world. And, and by the end of April, you know, as we moved into May, it was pretty clear to me that, that this was the future. Mm -hmm. And how did you get there? When you say the quest for truth, were you speaking to people? Were you reading? What was that process like? Yeah. You know, uh, you can learn anything on YouTube. It was a, on the internet and YouTube. It was it was a lot of watching YouTube videos, you know, by all the great mm -hmm. Andreas, and I, I watched the Peter Schiff, Eric Voorhees debates, and and I watched Pomp's videos, and then I spent a lot of time scrolling around Binance Academy, and and then I <laughs> read all the papers by Parker Lewis and DJ Boyapati, and then I read the Bitcoin. Standard by Saifedean. I listened to more podcasts than probably one should. And, and after I made it through all of that stuff, and then I started browsing a little crypto Twitter, then I came to a conclusion. Yeah, so uh, Michael, 
I remember like the one year in, like half a year, one year in for me was also my most vocal. Uh, people think I'm vocal now, but I was much more vocal back then, like promoting Bitcoin. I really loved that. But I think Michael also has a, a, a personality where uh, once he understood Bitcoin, once he got into it, he he, he wrapped his, his head around it very tightly. And then and he's, he's pushing it really, really hard. I remember that stage for me as well. Mm -hmm. I still do today, but not as uh, aggressively. Um, uh, but yeah, the, uh, um, uh, those are very fun times. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Second question. Uh, CZ, who do you admire? Um, I admire a lot of people, actually. Um, actually, I just read uh, Michael Seller's book uh, on mm. the mobile wave. And when I was reading that, uh, so I was just reading this a couple of days ago. I was like, wow, that's, uh, you know, that reads more like a documentary now. But you, you, at the time it was written, none of the things in the book actually happened. So um, I think so. Uh, so I, I, I do read, I do read, uh, listen quite a lot these days uh, for books. So I, I, I respect a lot of the authors, a lot of the entrepreneurs. I think Elon Musk probably is some somebody I really admire as well. He's like he has true audacity and and, and hardcore push. So um, yeah, there are other there are other guys. Uh, in, there's a lot of guys. So I don't really Brilliant. have a particular one. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Great. Okay. Uh, same question to you, Michael. John D. Rockefeller. I, I think you mm. should. I would recommend anybody read Titan, read the history of Rockefeller. I mean, he lived to ninety-nine and three quarters, and uh, and he kind of wrote the book on on creating an energy network. I mean, the beauty of Bitcoin is Bitcoin is uh, is the first great crypto monetary network in the history of the world, and it's a it's a profound achievement because it's going to decrease the cost of moving money by a factor of a thousand or something. It's an elemental force. What, what standard oil was, was imposing a standard way to extract energy and deliver it uh, all through the world. And they reduced the cost of energy by a factor of a thousand. And it was critical to the 20th century. <laughs> and mm. and so everything you can do in business and everything you should be thinking about as an engineer in order to change the world with technology, Rockefeller struggled with those things and succeeded. And, and uh, it's just an extraordinary story. If you look at, at what, what they did, the impact on the world, and then what he did with that money. Brilliant. Okay. Uh, what do you like to do CC when you're not working? Um, I actually just swim a little bit and then just listen to books. Um, and well, I do socialize with colleagues as well. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Mike. Yeah. Michael, how about you? I spend time on the water. I like to go yachting, I move around. I find water. I, I, I proceed to the watery part of the world and I find beautiful places. That sounds absolutely lovely. Good. Especially good having, uh, having a boat during these COVID times so you can escape the lockdown. Right. Okay, guys. So we're going to move into the third section of today's fireside. Uh, the community, we have so many questions, and I have no idea how we're going to cover all of them. But we, we will do our absolute best uh, to cover as many as we can. Um, so please do bear with us. And thank you for sending uh, all of the questions so far. So I'm going to bring some up here. Um, so a question from Philos Hippos. Nice name. Uh, thanks for joining us, Philos. Um, does a store of value like Bitcoin necessarily have to be decentralized? What if government comes up with a centralized fixed <coughs> USD, Euro, or CNY token? Would this be a threat to Bitcoin? Interesting. Um, do you want to take that, Michael? Sure. I, I, I mean, I think that the whole point is if you want a store of value, it needs to transcend any company and any government so that no individual can can change the rules and inflate it away. So uh, I don't see any anything issued by a company or issued by a government to be competitive. For it to be truly property in cyberspace, it has to be owned by no one, controllable by no one, so that no one, even with a gun to their head, could change the consensus. As long as any one person, group, company, or government has any control or power over it, it's not, it's not an elemental force in cyberspace. Mm -hmm. it, it's not, nobody can force you to change the laws of gravity 
and the laws of thermodynamics. If you step off a cliff, you're going to die. It doesn't matter whether you run a country or the richest man in the world, you're going to die. And so for this to be a store of value, it needs to be a store of energy. Store of energy means respect the laws of thermodynamics. You can't allow any company, any government to meddle with the laws of thermodynamics. And, and hence, it's got to be decentralized. It's got to be outside the control of any human being for it to be thermodynamically and mathematically sound. Yeah. And also, like when you, de when you depend on a central party, either a bank or a government or um, the the guys who are in that uh, the guys who are in that institution changes over time, and uh, the guys who have power wants more power, and their power and influence uh, their power will grow over time. They will have they'll have control over, it and they will change the rules. Um, so only something that's mathematically insured and physically insured um, is it, going to be a true store of value. So mm -hmm. um, I don't yeah I don't think that uh, that can be issued by a single entity. Makes sense. Okay. So we've got a question here from Alex. Hi, Alex. Uh, do you think the DeFi space will challenge traditional finance over the next five years? And that's for you, CZ. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think uh, they will. I think we will, we have only just seen the tip of the iceberg. Probably, I think there's going to be a lot more innovation in the DeFi space. Um, and today, none of them are super big, to be honest. They have grown quite quite a lot in the last year. Um, but we, I think we're, we're just kind of looking at the tip of the iceberg right now. So I think um, Binance.com and the centralized exchange could be very well challenged as well. And But before, I think before that is truly challenged, uh, a lot of the traditional businesses or financial institutions will be challenged a little bit more. So mm -hmm. we'll see what happens. Uh, but I, I, yeah, I fully think that the, set, the future is decentralized and we also have multiple experiments in that realm and hopefully one of them, one of, a few of them will, will be successful. Brilliant. So question from Wilfred Michael. Uh, hi, Michael. Can you tell us if other tech CEOs have contacted you since you started investing in Bitcoin? I do hear from a, from a lot of interesting CEOs and high net worth individuals and and they all want to understand what's going on. It's it's really raised the awareness of Bitcoin quite a bit this by this action. And uh, I, I can't tell you what they're going to do. I'm not allowed to talk about that, but I can tell you that, that uh, the amount of interest and awareness has increased by orders of magnitude since we made our announcement. And I and yeah. I'm I'm happy to see that awareness growing. I think I, I think that Bitcoin is the solution to 7.8 billion people's problems. They just don't know it yet. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and Michael, if I can, I'll take this brief moment to say, uh, on behalf of the people who, uh, at least my fans on Twitter or, or people who in this industry, we really, really appreciate what you did um, uh, to make this awareness much, much higher among, especially the institutions and other um, sort of traditional uh, uh, funds, companies, etc. So I think you really brought, you really helped brought, bring Bitcoin crypto industry to the next level. Um, it's, to be very honest, it's not completely you, but you definitely helped a big chunk. So we really appreciate it. Well, thank you. I, look, I would say I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. It, it, I, I waited till after March. I'm a late bloomer. And all the hard work had been done by, <laughs> by the OGs, by the exchanges, by the writers. It's, they're the ones that did the work. I just had a very big problem and it was the solution and I kind of put the problem and the solution together. I, I think that, that deciding to get in this business after March of this year is pretty much the most straightforward decision. It's, I, we just happened to be the first you know, year one of making a straightforward decision. Deciding to get into this business before March of this year, I would say is visionary and courageous. Uh, Michael, I think I think in five years people will say the same thing five years later. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, another question coming in from uh, Murphy Alex or Alex Murphy. Um, sorry if I'm butchering your name. Uh, whales and sharks dominate the Bitcoin market. So, is there a place for a small trader like me, CZ? What do you think? Um, I think well, basically, uh, in any trading market, there are um, the larger funds do have uh, somewhat uh, uh, advantages, um, just as in life. Um, so they, they they are able to invest in better tools. Uh, they're able to hire larger teams. They have uh, more sophisticated strategies, etc. Um, I think uh, as far as trade active trading goes, I think we do want to ask yourself if you are a good active trader. 
if you if you're a good active trader, then yes, you, you can continue to trade. If you're not a good active trader, I actually don't recommend people to become day traders just because they're now entering into crypto. That doesn't make sense. If you're not an active trader in the traditional financial space, you should not suddenly become an active trader in the crypto space. And if this is something that you want to learn uh, in the crypto space, use very limit, use very small portions of your funds to do that. So don't risk very large amounts. So I'm actually, I usually advise people not to become active traders. Um, but uh, I encourage people a lot more what uh, Michael uh, is doing, which is buy and hold long term. Uh, if you buy and hold long term, it's a, it's a, it's a much, much easier uh, thing to handle. So uh, that would be my advice for um, anyone who's asking this type of questions. Uh, yes, they, the larger institutional guys do have a lot of tools that you may or may not have. And uh, trading is not for everyone. Um, yeah, but, uh, uh, but asset, uh, asset fund management is, a portfolio management is for everyone. Everyone has to do it. You have to manage your financials. So mm -hmm. learn about that. That does not mean active trading. That usually means buy and hold. Makes sense. Okay. Uh, Michael, we've got a, a question here from the Bakery Swap team, uh, and they want to know what your thoughts are around uh, corporate investments that don't include Bitcoin as a way to protect capital in the long term. So I think they're getting here at, are there any DeFi assets or crypto tokens that are of a more DeFi nature that could at some point in the future be part of the thinking around diversifying corporate assets and treasury assets? I think... Um the most important thing we can do to attract corporate assets is to provide them with uh, with a safe haven, long duration, extremely simple, understandable value proposition. So Bitcoin is going to be the gateway to to bring any corporate treasury into the crypto industry. There, there. If you're a corporation you're going to want to see something that has not changed ideally for a decade, mm -hmm. if not five years. If you, if you introduce something and five years later, it's exactly the same and doing exactly the same thing. Then people start to think I can put a lot of weight on that. So, so I think you're, you're building the foundation from there. And the right way to think about it is get the corporations to buy, uh, to buy Bitcoin. And then once they bought Bitcoin, they're going to look at other op alternatives or other options as the industry grows. And if they find something that suits their needs, they may pursue it. But, but I think that the killer application for corporations is store of value. And store of value just means I just want to take my treasury and not lose purchasing power. I, I think that most companies, they're not look corporation, corporate treasuries, they're not looking for functionality in the form of smart contracts. They're not looking for privacy, right? Corporations can't have privacy. It's all, especially a public company by definition. Right? Mm -hmm. they so they're not looking for functionality. They're not looking for DeFi. They're not looking for privacy. What they're looking for is store of value. And, and what you're competing against is short duration sovereign debt. They're either holding cash or sovereign debt. They're not even going to hold gold, by the way. Right. Most companies won't buy gold. So, you know, your lift is you have to convince corporations that rather than hold a five year uh, debt instrument from the U.S. government or the EU, they should hold a, a crypto asset. And they're going to want the safest, most widely adopted crypto asset. And if a if hundred other billion dollar institutions own that asset, they will consider it as a potential allocation, right? But th that's where we are in this life cycle. We need to we need to just keep working that. That'll be going on for five years, 10 years, probably. Brilliant. Okay, final question for you, um, Michael. Uh, you've got some interesting developments we understand around an initiative based on Bitcoin security and integrity. Is that something you'd like to tell us about today? Look, I, I think that um, it's really important that we focus upon making large institutions comfortable that Bitcoin is the most secure, safe haven, long duration asset. One thing they love to see is that the industry is, is doing everything it can to avoid introducing bugs into Bitcoin and mm -hmm. to protect it against a hacker attacks or the like. And so security is very close to my heart. Um, 
MIT DCI, I think, is, is a great organization. They've done really great work on Bitcoin Core, and they're spinning up a security initiative, and I'm working actively to support that security initiative right now. And I think you'll, you'll hear more things on that subject uh, as we go into January, I suspect. Mm. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. Um, we will keep our, keep our eyes peeled. I think you're on mute there, CZ, by the way. Um, okay, interesting. Very interesting. Very interesting. Okay. We're, we're, we are all ears and all eyes, so we look forward to hearing more. Very good. Well, um, CZ, Michael, uh, we've drawn to the end of today's fireside session. Thank you so much to you both for joining us. It's been a real pleasure kicking off the first of many upcoming Binance fireside chats. We hope to have you both back very, very soon. Um, and we want to continue the conversation. We've only covered probably half of the ground that we wanted to cover today, uh, but we've had a really fantastic time doing it. So thanks to you both. Thanks to the community for joining us along this ride. And if you have any questions that we weren't able to cover with either CZ or Michael, do tweet them. Uh, they are active on Twitter at all hours of the day. So do feel free to tweet them after the show if you've got any follow-ups. But thank you very much again, chaps. Yeah, Michael, th thank you so much for, for joining this. And um, um, yeah, I'll come back with you uh, offline when we can chat more. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Nice to, nice to be with both of you today. Thank you. Thank you Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Easy.